Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Friday, the third day of October 2014. And today we are reading from the big book. We are in the forward to the second edition. We are going to be beginning with the very last paragraph on the bottom of page XVII with the appearance. And today's readers are the 12 steps, Kathleen M, 12 traditions, Santa H, and then readers are Sharon H, Deb W, and Anita L. And the share code for yesterday, Thursday, the second day of October is 6926, 6926, OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive eating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Kathleen M. to read the 12 steps. Good morning. This is Kathleen M. Recovered in Virginia. The 12 steps. We admitted we were powerless over food that our lives had become unmanageable. Number two came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of the step. We tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Yes. Thank you, Kathleen M. And I will now ask Santa H. to read the 12 traditions, please. Good morning, visionaries. My name is Santa H. from New Jersey, a grateful compulsive overeater. And these are the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, 
our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems with money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personality. Pass. Thank you, Santa. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that you share and be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the, direct, what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. And once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And so today we're resuming our study of the big book. We are in the forward to the second edition on page XVII. And we're going to be beginning with the very last paragraph on that page that starts with the appearance of the new book. And we're reading two paragraphs. And with that, I am going to ask Sharon H. if she would start reading, please. Thank you, Monica. This is Sharon H., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Colorado. Welcome to everyone on the line. With the appearance of the new book, a great deal began to happen. Dr. Harry Emerson Fosdick, the noted clergyman, 
released, or excuse me, reviewed it with approval. And in the fall of 1939, Fulton Ursler, then editor of Liberty, printed a piece in his magazine called Alcoholics and God. This brought a rush of 800 frantic inquiries into the little New York office, which meanwhile had been established. Each inquiry was painstakingly answered. Pamphlets and books were sent out. Businessmen traveling out of existing groups were referred to these prospective newcomers. New groups started up, and it was found, to the astonishment of everyone, that AA's message could be transmitted in the mail as well as by word of mouth. By the end of 1939, it was estimated that 800 alcoholics were on their way to recovery. In the spring of 1940, John D. Rockefeller, Jr. gave a dinner for many of his friends to which he invited AA members to tell their stories. News of this got on the world wires. Inquiries poured in again, and many people went to the bookstore to get the book, Alcoholics Anonymous. By March 1941, the membership had shot up to 2,000. Then Jack Alexander wrote a feature article in the Saturday Evening Post and placed with such a compelling picture of AA before the general public that alcoholics in need of help just absolutely deluged deluged us, sorry. By the close of 1941, AA numbered 8,000 members. The mushrooming process was in full swing. AA had become a national institution. Oh my goodness, when I read this, I am just amazed at the growth that came about as the result of Bill W. and then his uh, meeting six months later after he had been sober for six months, meeting with Dr. Bob in Akron, Ohio, and then this book being published in 1939, and the growth that happened. So, you know, there was just this incredible, incredible brokenness and need, desperate need for all of these people that were suffering from the disease of alcoholism. And so we just see this incredible growth that happened and these various uh, individuals, this clergyman and then this doctor and, uh, and then this two articles that were written, um, the Saturday Evening Post, I've read that one out on the uh, website, it's amazing. And so it was the beginning of something that we are so blessed to be a part of now, right here on a phone line meeting with people connecting from all over the country and the world to hear this message of hope for us who have struggled with this compulsive overeating food addiction issue that we have. And I am just so grateful, Um, you know, July, I just have to keep saying it because July of 2012 when I started listening to this program was the beginning of my recovery that I didn't believe was possible for me because I'd been in OA for many, many years and struggled and, um, you know, would get abstinent but could not stay abstinent. So today I just am so grateful that I see God's signature written all over these two paragraphs because it was divinely inspired and then it was just like this flame took spark. I, we read a couple days ago about this spark that just began to vitalize and become a reality for all of these uh, people struggling and suffering from this disease. And now we are 
so blessed to be a part of that as well. And I'm so grateful to be on the line today. I'm so grateful to know that today I can say that I am a recovered compulsive overeater and to know that that's possible for everyone because, you know, I struggled for years and now I see that if I, uh, what I didn't see was the seemingly hopeless state of mind and body that this um, disease had taken me and that I needed to surrender and give my life over to God as I understand God and then begin the action of following these steps and what a difference that's made and it will for every single one of us to be set free. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Monica. Thank you, Sharon. My name is Charles. I eat too much. I'm a composer over here. Okay. All right. I heard Charles. And Ida, is there anyone else who would like to share? Okay, Charles, go ahead. Hi, good morning, Monica. Thank you for your continued service. My name is Charles. I eat too much. I recovered compulsive overeater one day at a time. And, uh, wow, this brought a rush of 800 frantic inquiries into the little New York office. Each inquiry was painstakingly answered. And where I want to um, focus on is uh, businessmen traveling out of existing groups were referred to these prospective newcomers. New groups started up, and it was found. That's why, thank God, right, this is so encouraging, these stats here. Within two year, a two-year window, it ballooned, it mushroomed. And uh, that's what it's about. It's about the newcomer. It's about, you know, thank you, a vision for you, and thank you, all you visionaries. I, can I keep it real? When I first got on here, I was like, man, these people think. I said, you know what? And then it transferred my mind into these people know. These people know. What a transformation. What a psychic change. You know, all these pamphlets and word of mouth. I don't do it word of mouth. I just do it by example, one day at a time. You know, thank God I'm, you know, I'm here multitasking right now on this elliptical, listening to this great message of hope. You know, it mushrooms. By, ni- by March 1941, the membership had shot up to 2,000. Then he wrote an article in the Saturday Evening Post. I, I haven't read that article, but I'm going to keep coming. You know, this mushrooming process was in full swing. Yes, this is a national institution for me. It's the greatest institution in the world, and I'm sponsoring some men that they got hope. And the big book tells me I don't want to miss this. And you know what? Recovery, I used to say recovery is not convenient, but it is. It's vital. Like my sister always said, I ain't going to call her name. There's no cross-talking. But, you know, when the big book says vital, it's serious. My, my, my disease is serious. I may be recovered at this point, but I'm not cured. So I need to keep coming one day at a time, you know, soaking all this information. And y'all going to hear me, man. I'm not going. This the, is this the last house on the block. You know, it's room for me. Thank God I could fit in. <laughs> I couldn't fit in before in my mind, you know, and even in my body. But my mind has transformed to 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 have me believe. Me every day, I'm a prospective newcomer. So these these two chapters, really, these two paragraphs, really talk to me. You know, I may not go around and say, "Hey, you know what? This and that. You need to. I, I, I you know, I can't do that because." That's just not me. The old me would have been like, you know, 
anywhere away vision for you change, it, but it don't work like that. You know what? Hey, what you doing? If somebody's attracted, then I will explain. But I'm not going around saying, hey, you know what? You need to. I, I tell my. I I, I, I ask my sponsors, hey, let's go back to the beginning. Let's go visionaries back to the beginning. Let's go back to the beginning before Doctor. Uh, excuse me, before Bill's story. Let's calm this. This is something we missed. And you know, one. I live in ten, eleven, and one. You know, and if I can help somebody, you know, I'm gonna add twelve in there. But I gotta stay in one, man. I'm a prospective newcomer every day. My higher power wakes me up. So with that, I'm a pass. I love you guys. Let me get back to this workout, and I'm going to listen to you guys. Love you. God bless. Thank you, Charles. Ida, you're up. Hi, this is Ida, recovered compulsive overeater from uh, Pennsylvania. Thank you, uh, Monica, for um, your service. You know, there's a couple of things that stood out to me on this uh, in this paragraph, and um, I like pictures and allegories. And I see the words, that this brought a rush of 800 frantic inquiries um, into the little New York office. And when I see those words, I think about um, what it would feel like to be on the Titanic and to know that there were lifeboats there. And everybody wasn't going to get into a lifeboat. But the 800 frantic inquiries that I picture myself, that's what I felt like when I came in from this last relapse. I felt frantic. I felt like I had to get one of those lifeboats. I had to get one of those life jackets. And the Titanic was going down, and I had no other source to save me. And yet, when I read this paragraph, um, I look at myself and I identify totally with the the image of this is what a vision for me gave a for me a vision gave to me. Uh, you know, I was in OA, and yet what I found in vision with studying the Big Book and studying the Twelve Steps of Recovery was that I, for the first time in my life, I understood what this lifeboat meant what this life jacket meant. And it wasn't about following a food plan or a diet. It wasn't about how many meetings that I went to. It was about understanding that I had an allergy of the body and obsession of the mind. And I love the part where it says the alcoholics and God because that's what I found. I had a spiritual experience 35 years ago. It was revolutionary. People didn't look at me when I walked in a room and said, look how much weight Ida lost. They looked at me and they said, what's going on with Ida? I had that experience. But you know what? I didn't practice working the steps. I didn't practice what this big book teaches me about how to work the steps in my daily life that kept me in that direct connection with my higher power, with God, that kept me in the recovery state. And then the other thing I noticed was that the last sentence where uh, it says it brought in 800 frantic inquiries. And I don't know like if this is a coincidence or what, but it also said that it was estimated that 800 alcoholics were on their way to recovery. It didn't say that 800 came in and only 799 were on their way to recovery. It said 800 came in and 800 were on their way to recovery. How encouraging. What I have, you can have. 
this is offered to all of us. This recovery in this big book is a reality for all of us. I'm so encouraged by that. And then the other thing is just the word liberty at the top of the page in the second sentence. And you know as well as I do, living in the United States, the picture that we have for liberty is the Statue of Liberty. And what does it say? Bring me your tired, your weary. And you know what? That's where I was. I was tired. I thought that I could ne- I was going to have to settle for what I could do in my own strength until this message was given to me. And you know what I was given? I was given liberty and freedom and recovery. I was in the land of the free. Oh, my gosh. I cannot say enough. Thank you. Thank you, visionaries. Thank you for taking my hand and leading me and showing me. Um, That's all. Thank you. Thank you, Ida. And do your ex. You're next. Good morning. This is Do Recover Compulsive Overeater. Thank you so much, Monica, um, for your service. Um, what I see here is again, you know, a, uh, that the clergy, the religious people are getting involved. The press is getting involved. The um, the medical society is getting involved. And, and why are they getting involved? Because they're noticing that something is working for these people where they failed. <laughs> where they failed to bring a solution to these people, this book, this Alcoholics Anonymous book, is bringing the program of recovery to these people and it's working. People are people that were frantic, the 800 frantic inquiries. What is frantic? They're emotionally distraught from worry and fear. And, and all of a sudden, they find a solution in this book. And it says that the 800 were on their way to recovery. Um, but what, what I see here is that because this program works, you know, we earned the respect at the public level. You know, the press became our friends, the clergy became our friends, and the medical society became our friends. And what, what do these um, uh, friends do for us? They advocate for us. They, they recommend or they support or defend our cause. They plead on our behalf. And um, I know that we normally don't cover this, but on page 569 and 572, it gives, it gives the medical view of AA, and it also gives the religious view of AA in those pages, which shows the different types of, of um, medical or medical people or religious people that have advocated on our behalf, have supported our, our cause, and, and it's through, um, you know, through, the, um, through the press. And even though we don't get involved with, you know, we, we keep our tradition of not getting involved publicly at the level of radio, press, and television, but we see how they have helped us. You know, because through their, their, their help, you know, so many other people worldwide were reached where we could not have done by word of mouth. And so uh, that helps me to appreciate that, you know, that God works in all different ways. You know, he works in, in different ways um, to bring other people into, into um, uh, OA and AA. Um, it says, by the close of 1941, a deluge of almost 8,000 members, 8,000 members have recovered, 
have recovered. And and it says that AA's members tell their story when they went to John D. Rockefeller where, where he had all these people. He had the press there. He had the the people from, from the clergy. He had the people from the medical uh, um, standpoint. And they all told their stories. They, they gave their experience, strength, and hope. You know, they talked about this book. They talked about how this worked in their lives. They talked about how they had recovered. And that gave other people the impression that they could do likewise. And we could see how this has worked because it, it, it's um, something that keeps mushrooming and having a, a, a rippling effect on our society. And I'm just so grateful for this program, so grateful for God that, that he has given us this ability to to be able to move forward. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Du. And would anyone else like to comment on these two paragraphs? Larry. Larry. Anybody else? Go ahead, Larry. Okay. Thanks, Monica. Larry, Recovered Compulsive Reader from Chicago. So, you know, for me, uh, all of the early history that we read about, you know, the establishment of AA speaks to the notion of divine intervention. I didn't always see it that way. Um, but, you know, today, I mean, it's beyond my understanding how, how this thing started from a, a spark of discussion between two men, you know, Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob in Akron, Ohio, you know, June of 35, to, to a telephone meeting. Here we are, October 2014. Uh, that that uh, defies reason. So, you know, we hold in our hand the, the very same solution published in 1939. This practical program of action, you know, started among a fledgling, uh, underdeveloped society, you know, brought brought me to the very same place of freedom that the first 100 men and women received. And, you know, our history is the essence of the power of God's grace. You know, this this, this is the spiritual climate in which AA was born, and by the grace of God, our fellowship continues to flourish. And, you know, it reminds me, too, that surrender to a higher power is not terribly difficult for a true compulsive overeater like me. And why is that? Because for years I surrendered to a lower power, you know, the food, certainly. But but I also, on a daily basis, surrender to fear and worry and, and forgetfulness and, and the stupor and sleep, the power of that state of temporary oblivion, you know, that stuff in my face provided. You know, that was my God. So, you know, this solution, the surrender to a higher power today, you know, involves no more exacting demand than the surrender I made to, to fast food and, and sugary dessert items over the decades before I got here. So the root of my trouble, again, centers in my mind. And the program of action was absorbed rather than learned. You know, it, it was it, I caught it rather than, than taught it, you know. Thank God for the establishment of AA because it transformed my mind and my behavior will always be directed by my prevailing thinking. You know, my diseased mind remained completely closed off. As long as it did, the possibility of a spiritual solution um, would not come because, you know, it's simple. I would never, ever pick up this spiritual toolkit. But the moment one does, recovery, I would say, is not only possible, it's really inevitable. It's it's a done deal once once someone picks up these steps. That's that's where recovery comes about. Not the tools, not the talking, not the fellowship. All beautiful, necessary, but it's in the steps. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Would anyone else like to comment on these two paragraphs? Okay. Well, this is Monica. 
Yes. Go, go ahead, ahead, Monica. I'll go after you. Oh, okay. Alea. All right. <laughs> um, I was just going to say, you know, what hope here we're hearing here this morning, and what was this that people uh, were hearing in the 30s with and reading in the late 30s, early 40s here? They were reading that alcoholism was a disease, was a medical disease, and that uh, because before, and, and you know, there was, and there was a solution. They, it was a medical disease, and they had now had a solution. And all these, uh, the first 100 recovered uh, from being, you know, some of them were gutter drunks to becoming useful people again in society. And, and because before then, alcoholism and drunks, it was all considered a moral disease. You know, you're weak-willed, you're, you're, you're a sinner. Uh, this is what it was thought of that these people were this way. And now, all this hope and all these people recovering. So I just like that. Leah, go ahead. Thank you, Monica. Leah, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. New group started up, and it was found to the astonishment of everyone that AA's message could be transmitted in the mail as well as word of mouth. Um. Yeah, I mean, they had something to transmit. You know, we read every day at the conclusion of this meeting, you know, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. They had something, and that was evident. You know, they had recovered and had been restored to sanity. They had had a spiritual awakening that was sufficient to bring about recovery, and it was noticed. I mean, you know, and thank God, you know, this program of recovery that's so divinely inspired, where... (laughs) What would have happened, you know, had AA not been developed? I mean, what would have happened to alcoholics and, you know, let alone to all these other addictions that have been uh, helped um, by AA? You know, so, I mean, thank God for that. Now, nobody ever intended it to be a fellowship of men and women. It was intended, they intended to publish a book and let people find uh, spiritual conversion through the action of these steps. But the fellowship, which, you know, it talks about here, grew out of recovery, not the other way around. There was something uh, that, you know, was so attractive here, and the fellowship grew out of the program of recovery. So AA was conceived you know, was born and it still lives today as a spiritual program. It's nothing more uh, and nothing less than a spiritual program. It's a fellowship of men and women, true, um, but it was born out of those whose lives had been transformed, you know. And and it goes on to say here, you know, that... um, you know, it had become a national institution, and, you know, recently, uh, a few years back, the Library of Congress voted uh, the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, as one of the 88 uh, top books. Uh, books that have made an impact on the 20th century. How incredible is that? You know, this book that was published in 1939, you know, that said, rarely have we seen a person fail that has thoroughly followed our path. uh, That statement is still true today. (laughs) Uh, That's still true today, you know, October 3rd, 2014. So thank God, you know, uh, the 
program of recovery, the big book, nobody's been able to improve on the recovery program described in that first edition. In all the years that have passed since the big book first uh, came on the scene, no one has come up with a better solution. That 12-step program works as well now as it did in 1939. So grab hold. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Woohoo! Let's move on to the next uh, paragraph. And Deb W., would you read for us, please? Thank you, Monica. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay, Deb W. in Oklahoma. Our society then entered a fearsome and exciting adolescence period. The test that it faced was this. Could these large numbers of erstwhile erratic alcoholics successfully meet and work together? Would there be quarrels over membership, leadership, and money? Would there be strivings for power and prestige? Would there be schisms which would split AA apart? Soon AA was beset by these very problems on every side and in every group. But out of this frightening and at first disrupting experience, the conviction grew that AAs had to hang together or die separately. We had to unify our fellowship or pass off the scene. And so the answer to those questions is yes, yes, yes. Because we, our real problem is not the addiction, it's not the, the, the food, it's not the alcohol. The problem that we really have is a living problem. And in, the, in this forward, it's kind of given us an insight for what's to come, what's going to be addressed in the future. It kind of reminds me of when I was working uh, on my steps and, and, and once the spiritual awakening started happening, I became aware of what a mess I was. And, and it, I was miserable. I was miserable in realizing the defects of character that, uh, that I was suffering from. And this kind of makes me uh, go to page 52 and it, it talks about our bedevilments, the real problem, the living problems that we have. And, and we, were trouble, we were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were a prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. So you put me in a room full of other people like me, and it was a hot mess. And we're trying to come together to make decisions. We're still trying to work on the steps, most of us at that time and even now. And so you can imagine how things were at that place, at that time in my program. But then I wanted to kind of go over to step 10 and and read about the promises, what we have to look forward to if we're working the steps, if we're working our program, if we're dedicated, if we're convicted to uh, live this way of life. And um, the promises say, and we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol, for by this time we will, sanity will have returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally, and we will find that this has happened automatically. We will see that our new attitude toward 
liquor has been given to us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. We are not fighting it. Neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we had been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That is our experience. That is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. And this is where we're this is what we're coming to. This is what our place we're wanting to to, to get to in our walk. And I th- and that's all I have to share and I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Deb. And would mm-hmm. anyone like to comment on this paragraph? This is Sally. Sally. Anyone else? Okay, go ahead, Sally. Okay. Good morning, Monica. Thank you for your service to all of us. Good morning, the vision for you. This is Sally, a recovered compulsive overeater in South Jersey. Um, so, so much has been said, and I'm, I'm really blessed already this morning by the shares. And what I wanted to speak to in this paragraph, uh, at the bottom of the page here, it says, would there be quarrels over membership, leadership, and money? Would there be striving for power and prestige? So they've already come through the first test, a very important test. They've gone through the John D. Rockefeller test because bottom line is many of us, many of you are like me. You've been depending on different people in your life over money. You, you've been depending on other people for a lot of different reasons. I, I, I know for myself in the process of going through my fear inventory, I realized, you know, that my dependence was on my children. Who's going to take care of me when I'm old and I can't take care of myself? Who's going to be there to financially get me out of the next scrape that I'm in? And so these are, these are all, have always been uh, important, important aspects for my own, you know, fear inventory and for my own life. And so I, I believe that when these guys were going to John D. Rockefeller, they were really excited and, and happy and believed that perhaps this guy was going to bring, he was going to infuse a bunch of money into this prospect, into this, into this book and into the, the um, promoting of this book, and that he was going to be sort of, you know, like a messiah for them. He was going to rescue them in many ways financially. And then when you come down to the bottom of the page and they're talking about would there be quarrels over membership, leadership, money, strivings for power and prestige? These are all aspects of the ego that we all still deal with on a daily basis. And ultimately, the book is continually bringing us home to the reality that our reliance must be on our higher power. Our dependence must be on our higher power. It brings me to page 99, 98 first. Job or no job, wife or no wife, sponsor or no sponsor. I always have to stick that in because I know myself, I tend to just think, if I don't have a sponsor, what will happen to me? When truthfully, we simply do not stop eating. So long as we place dependence upon other people, a head of dependence on God. And on page 164, the line right above the, the paragraph that we read every morning on A Vision for You, right above it, two lines above on 164, it says, God will determine that, so you must remember, you must remember that your real reliance is always upon him. So our, we know that this is a key principle, you know, in terms of what we're being taught in this, in this book, 
a key principle in the manner of living, the design of living, the new way of living that we're going to live is that we keep central in our minds that our reliance must be on a higher power. And here at the bottom and even in the middle of the page, it's talking about who you're going to look to to promote this book. And, and here these guys, as, as Deb so beautifully and eloquently put, that they were looking, you know, at each other and who's going to be the best and who's going to have the power and where's the prestige. And, and it, the thing is, when you put together a group of people in an ocean liner that was sinking and you throw them into a lifeboat and they're all from different walks of life, some of them were really, in the, there were bums in the Bowery and some of them were lawyers and doctors. And, you, and all different religions, all different creeds and, and, and race, and, and you put them all together, you know, a lot can go wrong. And that just leads me to this final thought. I've heard this said, and I know many of you have heard it said, the steps prevent suicide, traditions prevent homicide, principles prevent genocide. Thanks for letting me share. With that, I pass. Thank you, Sally. Would anyone else like to comment on, these, on this paragraph? This is Katie Anita. F. I heard Katie F. and I heard somebody before Katie. Who was that? Anita, Anita L. Anita and someone else? Do. Do. Okay. Anita L. Kathy F. Katie, I mean, excuse me, and then do. Go ahead, Anita. Okay. Good morning, everybody. Uh, can you hear me loud enough? Yes. Okay, mm-hmm. great. Um. What I wanted to share on was the last part of what was read, but out of this frightening and at last disrupting experience, the conviction grew that AAs had to or must hang together or die separately. We had to or we must unify our fellowship or pass off the scene. So whenever uh, I see had to or have to or must, uh, I know that this is a set of directions um, that I'm sure God had had given them the uh, intuitive knowledge to write. And so I know that my disease always isolated me. And so now... Uh, One of my primary purposes is to work together with others, not only to carry the message. However, I need my support, too, especially when the obsession of the mind comes, because it will come. And as long as my spiritual foundation is strong, and uh, one of my uh, sponsors said to me, we need to make a deposit in our spiritual bank account every day. And that way we build up our spiritual support so that when the obsession comes, we'll be able to work through it. And the way I work through it is by reaching out to others in the fellowship. And we had to unify our fellowship or pass off the scene. And today I don't want to die I have too much to live for. My life is too good today. So I'm going to hang together with the fellowship. Thanks for letting me share. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Anita. Katie, you're next. Good morning. This is Katie Upper, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. 
And I love this paragraph because it shows us uh, the light that will, will then uh, later become the traditions. You know, why they had to uh, develop the traditions is because this is a natural thing that happens. When you get a bunch of humans together, there will be quarrels over membership, leadership, and money, um, strivings for power and prestige. And, you know, this, the fact that uh, we have the traditions and we have these founding fathers who, who lit the way for us, we don't have to go through that today. You know, I would say that our, our group is, you know, this uh, Vision for You has been around for, you know, a little over two years, and we have this huge number of people, um, you know, on the member contact list and hundreds of people on the line every day. And it would be so easy to say, well, let's, let's just do it this way. Well, let's demand this. Well, let's say we have to do that. And, you know, we don't do that because we have this foundation of we are workers among workers, and we are um, – you know, we do not let money, property, and prestige to divert us from our primary purpose. Our primary purpose is to help others to recover from this seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And it doesn't matter uh, who I am or what I do for a living. All that matters is that I can tell you that I've had a spiritual awakening and that God has restored me to sanity. That one day, um, back in October of, two, of 1987, I was ready to drive off the road. I wanted to get the nerve to drive off the road. That is where my disease took me. And it wasn't until it took me to that place that I was willing to do what I was told to do. And, you know, if I had to come in here because of my credentials, if I had to share my bank account, if I had to share any other uh, level of prestige, I would not um, – you know, I, I'm not, you know, a PhD or uh, any type of letters behind my name. I'm just uh, Katie. I'm just Katie who has a solution. And that is the beauty of this program, that we are not funded by the Rockefellers or, you know, uh, anybody else that um, could could try to control what we do because we are supported by God. And, you know, every year it just keeps getting better in my life as I continue to share this with others. And do they all recover? I wish they did. But I stay in recovery and I'm willing to keep doing the next right thing. And that's how I want to live my life today. And that is not what I thought when I, you know, by God's grace, did not drive off the road. I didn't say, well, I'm not going to drive off the road because I really want to be on a phone line for the rest of my life and help people. No, I just didn't want to die. And, you know, but God's ways are so much better than what I have in mind, you know, and I don't have to project, you know, be, I, I just, I read these paragraphs and I want that for us. I want OA to grow the way AA grew. And I can get a little sad, thinking, you know, what's the deal, man? Why can't people get it? Why aren't we growing this way? But you know what? God's bigger than that. So I'm just trusting that um, we are all on the right path of sharing the message on a daily basis. And I'm doing it one more day with that will pass. Thank you, Katie. Do you're up. 
Good morning. This is Do Recover Compulsible Reader. Um, yeah, I see here it says, our, our society to enter a fearsome and exciting adolescent period. And, and when you think about adolescent, it's, it's still immature, still uh, on the process of growing and maturing and, and getting things straightened out. And, um, and then it says the test that it faced was, could these large numbers of earnest while erratic alcoholics successfully meet and work together. And earnest while is something that's previously unpredictable. Um, they were unpredictable. They were erratic in, in, in the sense where they were unpredictable. Um, but, you know, they, the, the thing that we see here is that they had problems. And one of the things that we learn is problems are our greatest teachers. <laughs> we learn from our problems. We learn to deal with the problems. And one of the things that I, I really stood out for me where it, where it asked the question, would there be schisms? And schisms are splits or divisions into opposing groups, which would split AA apart. And I think about OA, and I think about all the schisms that we have within OA, all the individual groups, all the different food plans, all the different um, uh, groups that, that we have out there that take different directions in, in um in, in promoting OA and, and, and kind of like bringing the messages that they bring with OA. And one of the things is that's, that's the problems that we face in OA today that, you know, that I find that we are in an adolescent period too because we have not brought the message of recovery from the big book to the rooms. And I believe that we are doing that now. We are starting to, I mean, a new wave is starting to happen in OA, which is unbelievable because I'm seeing it. And I, I travel and I get to see um, how these um, AA, I mean OA uh, big book studies are starting to develop with the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and that's what was happening with, with AA. They were, they were concentrated on the solution. They were concentrated on the program of recovery, which came from this book. And that's what unified the fellowship, you know, at that time. They, they had to hang together with the message of recovery or they had to die separately. And, and one of the things that developed out of this was the traditions and the 12 steps. And, and I just, I'm just so hopeful for OA because I see such a new way of doing things and, and how people are starting to recover and this thing is starting to take place where, where, where the message of recovery is starting to, to spread to all people and, and it's starting to take a chain effect and it's just so, so beautiful that, that, you know, God in his own divine time and his own wisdom is making things happen. And they happen for a reason. We don't know what those reasons are, but we do know that Problems are teachers, and they're going to teach us, and they're going to mature us, and they're going to get us to the other side. And so I say that because we we look at AA as our core, um, as our teacher, because they went through it. We don't have to go through it. All we need to do is learn from them. And um, I'm hoping that as we go through this book that we continue to learn and continue to grow even in our own organization, which is OA. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Do. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Hi, this is Sandy. Sandy? Go ahead, Sandy. Monica? This yes. Is Sandy, Robert Eater. 
Um, the part I wanted to share about is where it says AAs had to hang together or die separately. Um, Bill Wilson wasn't the first person to say that. Benjamin Franklin said that when um, he signed the, when people were signing the Declaration of Independence, they said we have to hang together or die separately. They were starting the Revolutionary War. So here we are with AA starting a revolution, almost almost a revolution in terms of alcohol. We had to hang together or die separately. So true in both situations. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you, Sandy. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? We've got three more minutes. It's Leah. I'll jump in. Okay, Leah, go ahead. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thank you. No one else wants to. Our society then entered a fearsome and exciting adolescent period. Um, yes, uh, you know, fearsome and exciting adolescence. I got a few of those. <laughs> I've got a 16-year-old, two 15-year-olds, and a 14-year-old, and an 11-year-old, among others. And, uh, yes, it's fearsome and exciting. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, they were... These early AAers were very focused. They had a specific goal. They had a specific message. They had a specific objective and aim, and that was recovery. Um, and that allowed them to unify. You know, it goes on to say we had to unify our fellowship or pass off the scene. And, of course, uh, that's a sentiment that is uh, – Referenced in Tradition 1, what's Tradition 1? Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon AA unity. So they had this um, commonality, this common solution. They realized that without unity, the heart of, of AA was going to cease to beat. So they stuck together, and they were very, very focused. You know, I, I have the pleasure of uh, attending a local AA meeting and it's just, you know, a can of mixed nuts. I mean, I just I just love it. You know, in that room, uh, you know, there's truck drivers and there's electricians and there's presidents of companies and there's doctors and nurses and unemployed people. I mean, it is just a mix in that room. You've got some of the wealthiest people in the tri-state area in that room, and you've got some of the poorest people on the planet in that room, you know, people that were sleeping uh, under the bridge last night. And the beauty of AA and the beauty of these 12-step programs is that you don't know who is who, and there is such a unity in that room because we walk in there, we sit down, we crack open the same text that you and I are looking at this morning, and we thump this message, you know? And, and there are no credentials. There's no one with special understandings. No one's been elected. We come there every day. Just like you and I come here every day because we don't want to die and also because we don't want to live in the way we once lived. Because I don't know about you, but I lived in a way that was absent of quality of life. And these men and women that we're reading about today in our history, they came together with a specific message. You know, I love the title of that Jack Alexander article. You know what that title is? Alcoholics Anonymous, freed slaves of drink, 
Now they free others. Isn't that beautiful? Freed slaves of drink, now they free others. It reminds me of the line in the text that we know so well. We have recovered and have been given the power to help others. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you so much, Leah. And with that, I'd like to thank everyone who has shared. And we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. And Anita L., would you please read for us, our book is meant to be suggestive only from a vision for you. Sure. Good morning, everybody. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.